When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news, as well as insight and analysis into all the subtext that you're discussing in The Beautiful Game. I mean, McGarry with me, I'm glad to see, is Duncan Castles, our transfer guru, back from his butterfly hunting late last week when, of course, the other hunter, Mr. Graham, joined us on the transfer window. Today, we've got lots and lots to bring you. Chelsea, Manchester City, Manchester United, Spurs, Napoli. Well, you name it, we've got it. So let's get straight to it with Chelsea and their Pursuit of Paris Saint-Germain, now free agent Thiago Silva, captain of the PSG team, which of course came runners-up to Bayern Munich in the Champions League final. Uh, Lots of people believe that he is very close to signing for Chelsea. We understand that there is an interest from Chelsea. But Duncan, you can bring us news that actually there may be some competition from teams in Italy for the Brazilian international's signature. Definitely lots of competition for Thiago Silva, um, which isn't a surprise because, um, as we said in the podcast a while ago, when we were talking about Thiago's availability this summer, this is a guy who was, without a doubt, in my view, the best defender and central defender in, in world football for a period of his career. And uh, and still, as he's shown in the in this final season with PSG, or what looks like being his final season with PSG, because there are some noises that PSG are considering um, trying to offer him a, a a contract to to stay at the club. But in this final season, he's demonstrated he's still at an exceptionally high level, and and a, and a level where you can see that a club like Chelsea will say, "Here's a player." Uh, no transfer fee, who can go straight into the defence, who can lead a, a, an immature defence which had a lot of problems with it um, last season, who's got the physical capabilities to play in the Premier League. Um, we will have to pay him high wages, but uh, it, it's a bargain deal when you're getting prices quoted at you, like the 55 million plus that we, we told you Brighton were asking for uh, Ben White. Um the uh, £70 million total fee that West Ham United are proposing for Declan Rice, who is Frank Lampard's first choice for the position. Um, the information I have in Thiago is that he has had several offers. One that he's turned down was a, a substantial deal to go to uh, the MLS uh, on a contract of $8 million net a season. He's rejected that. He also has proposals from Italy, um, a strong one from Fiorentina. Um, and I'm told there has been interest from Milan, um, one of his former clubs, and from uh, Napoli. 
uh, Napoli, of course, in the market for a centre-back um, as they attempt to sell Kaladu Koulibaly, a major target for Manchester City, and after losing out um, on the transfer of Gabriel to Arsenal, which is something we will talk about later in the podcast. Um, so if Chelsea do manage to get this across the line, and there's been a lot of noise today that it will definitely happen, um, they'll have fought off very significant competition uh, to convince Thiago to come to the Premier League and be part of that massive summer rebuild that, that Chelsea are engaged in at the moment. It's also an interesting one, Duncan, um, in terms of Chelsea's transfer policy. We've already seen uh, Pedro depart, William leave for Arsenal, both over 30, uh, Marina Granaskaya, uh, Chelsea's de facto chief executive, has uh, been very clear that she will not offer more than a one-year contract to anyone over the age of 30. This has been a policy which has been in place for the last three seasons. Um, not so much Pedro, but William was really a very influ influential uh, character, both in the dressing room and on the pitch for Chelsea over the last uh, five seasons. He was allowed to leave on the basis that they didn't want to offer more than two years. Arsenal offered him three. Again, remember, 33. Tego Silva is 35. Now, our information is that Tiago Silva has been offered a one-year plus one-year option, depending on how many minutes stroke games he starts for Chelsea uh, in terms of the offer to him. Now, as you've explained, it's not the only offer he has. Frank Lampard is desperate to bring in something we've told you on the podcast on several occasions over the last three to four months, a dominant centre-back in the John Terry mould, the player he played with at Chelsea for more than 13 years, in order to marshal what has been a leaky defence. If Thiago Silva comes in, it will be a break with that policy and convention for Granskea. What makes Thiago so special, Duncan, that they would be willing to break, or at least, uh, let's just say, compromise that policy in order to make him what would be one of the highest played players at the club? I think it's, it's, it's his quality as his player and his experience at, at the, the very top level, leadership, um, good attitude as a player. I mean, there are question marks over his injury record and uh, and I think that would be the risk element involved here because you're taking him, albeit after he's had a season where he's had a, a lot of rest because the French division shut down um, early um, because of COVID and, and that was clearly a factor. I mean, we pointed out in the podcast that the German and the French teams would have an advantage in the Champions League final tournament because they'd had longer to prepare for it. And, and lo and behold, we see Lyon getting to the semi-final, Leipzig to the semi-final, and then uh, uh, PSG and, uh, and Bayern in the final itself. Um, so he's had rest, but he's, you, you're asking him then to come into the Premier League for the first time at that age um, with that questionable injury record and a extremely demanding schedule ahead, ahead of him so that there's a risk involved there but relative pricing and the specific requirements of Chelsea's defence so there is there has been a lack of leadership which Lampard has identified um, 
there has been a lack of quality and you definitely get both of those by bringing Thiago Silva in. Um, and overall cost of the deal, relatively cheap because you're only paying wages. Um, it's, a, it's a calculated risk um, and one that fits Marina Granovskaya's policy of um, she has liked to recruit Brazilian players. Um, Chelsea has a good track record of players from that part of the world. Um, so, you know, you can see where certain boxes are being ticked in this move. Um, interesting also that, uh, you know, a story we broke in the podcast some months ago on Lampard's uh, desire to get Ben Chilwell into that defence at left back, that has also come in close um, to completion. And that, I think, is the first time, uh, I may be wrong, but I think it's the first time that one of Lampard's first choices is being recruited by Chelsea. Um, and Ian, I think you can update us on where that um, process, negotiation it is at present. Indeed, Duncan. Um, first of all, I'd like to compliment you on bringing us that exclusive uh, report about how Marina loves a Brazilian. And uh, that was very, very interesting. Uh, we'll, we'll say no more about it. But uh, Ben Chilwell, yes, uh, saw a specialist in Harley Street uh, on Monday of this week regarding the heel injury that he suffered in the restart and resumption of the Premier League season. Um the outcome of that is yet to be assessed by Chelsea's medical department who have been authorised to have the uh, details and the assessment which was done uh, during that examination. Um, in doing so, um, an assessment will be made with regards to Chilwell's recovery, his rehabilitation and when indeed he can return to training and be expected to play again. At this moment in time, it's expected that he would not pass a medical examination under the strict terms in which Premier League players are uh, put under with regards to signing a contract with a new club. However, it's not uh, unusual uh, that a player can be signed on the basis that they will recover or they're expected to recover as well. Now, that would make sure that Chilwell was available to make the switch from Leicester City to Stamford Bridge at a fee, flat fee that uh, we are uh, informed of £50 million, which would, uh, as you said, Duncan, um, make sure that Lampard has secured one of his preferred targets in terms of the rebuilding his defence. What we can also tell you, because obviously we like to keep you up to date, um, is that the transfer of Kai Havertz from Bayer Leverkusen is nearing a completion. Uh, you will all know, of course, uh, who are regular listeners to the Transfer Window podcast, that we reported, uh, I think it was probably about a month ago, that personal terms had been agreed on a five-year contract with Havertz um, and that all that remained to be sorted out was the fee with Bar Leverkusen, Leverkusen holding out for 100 million euros. It now appears that both clubs are getting close to agreement on not just a fee, but the payment structure, which is also key uh, to how this deal will be concluded. Um, 
Leverkusen have suggested that 80 million euro down payment with 10 million euros in add-ons uh, for performances under their 10 million euros on top of that based on extra add-ons. So they would achieve the 100 million euros that they have requested. Exceptionally large outlay in one window, Duncan. And it leaves me asking myself and certainly my contacts, the question is, why are Chelsea investing now in such a huge way when their net spend in the transfer market in the last five years has been £133 million? And now they look like breaking, well, they certainly would be breaking more than £200 million and with still players to be bought and players to be signed. Are we seeing something in the Roman Bramovich era uh, which suggests that either the Russian oligarch is more interested uh, now in Chelsea winning trophies, etc., etc., and indeed, what would be his motivation for that? Was it is it still uh, a indulgence project, or indeed, is it easier to sell Chelsea in the short term if they're winning? rather than invest the some £1 billion plus in redeveloping Stamford Bridge in the way that Spurs have had to spend on their stadium in order to find a new owner? Well, it's certainly cheaper to put the money into the team if you can get the team to win again. Um, and look, they, they obviously have an advantage. We all know that they haven't been able to buy um, last summer. Um, and they elected not to buy because of that conflict between Frank Lampard and Marina Granovskaya over where the money should be spent in January. So they've got cash stored up. Um, financial fair play has been um, radically alleviated as a response to COVID. So it allows you to put a lot of money into this market if you have that money available to spend. And Chelsea are fortunately in that position because of a... The, the transfer ban they had last summer and because they have Roman Abramovich there who can throw equity uh, or loans, actually most of the, the money that he's put into, a large chunk of the money he's put into Chelsea is still um, kept on the, the balance sheet as a as an owner's loan to the club. I think it's over a billion pounds worth now. But he's in that position to put money in as and when he wants to. Obviously, the stadium project was halted. It was going to be hugely expensive because of the difficulties of building um, on Stamford Bridge. Um, it's interesting if the strategy now is let's build the team up into one that can compete for the title again, um, playing exciting football, which they have been doing, um, entertaining football under Frank Lampard, and, and try and uh, reel a, a buyer in that way. Uh, for a lesser cash investment in the club than would be required to to build the stadium. Um, it certainly contrasts quite radically with what's happening across London, where you have a club, Tottenham, which is, is being made available for sale, has been made available for sale. The project of building the training ground, turning them into a Champions League side, building the new stadium has very much been thought of as let's, structure a club so it's like a, a ready-made package to sell to overseas investors which we can um, take 
got two billion plus for um, from such an investor to sell, and they, when everything looked like it was work going in the right direction for Tottenham in terms of uh, continual Champions League qualification, having the training ground in place, then getting the stadium open, they get hit with COVID, uh, and suddenly the stadium, which is designed for uh, match day revenue, maximising match day revenue, um, taking money from NFL uh, games being played in London, specifically designed with a pitch for NFL use, uh, taking money from concerts. Um, all of that goes out the window and, and Tottenham are now in a position where they are scraping around the transfer market, trying to shift players, unwanted players out to, to raise a bit of cash to make um, relatively... Uh, inexpensive deals for players like Pierre, Emil, Hoiberg, and um, and I can tell you uh, I, another player they're looking for um, uh, to upgrade uh, at present is Matt Doherty at uh, Wolverhampton Wanderers, who um, has risen to the top of a list um, to replace Serge Aurier at in that right back position that Mourinho hasn't been entirely happy about Aurea's performances and feels that he's a bit defensively suspect. Um, if Tottenham can sell Aurea and they're trying very hard to move Aurea out of the club and Italy um, is a, probably the most de likely destination, then um, Matt Doherty would be an option to replace with Wolves ready to sell for the right amount of money. Um, second choice uh, player we told you about uh, a few weeks ago, um, Zeki Celic at uh, Lille um, for that position, but all dependent on moving players out and and a huge contrast to what Chelsea are doing in the market where they're going for someone like Ben Chilwell, who would be, I think, broadly regarded as the top choice, attainable choice as a left-back in the Premier League at present and spending £50 million to get the player. Duncan, I must admit, it's not very often that I accuse you of rushing into things, especially with the quick fire round. But you didn't give me a chance before you moved on to Spurs to ask you about Kepa Aritha Balaga at Chelsea, who I believe you have some news on that Chelsea fans and indeed other football fans will be very, find very interesting with regards to his position at Stamford Bridge. So please, let me um, goad you into giving us that news before we head back to Spurs and indeed Wolves as well. Yeah, Kepa, that's not such good news for Frank Lampard. Um, obviously a goalkeeper he doesn't trust, uh, moved out of the first team lineup at the end of last season um, and would like to sell and, and has told the club he would like to sell. And uh, ostensibly, Chelsea's position is that the player is available for sale and they are looking for replacements and have been uh, talking to other clubs about replacements. Um, numerous names that we've uh, we mentioned to you previously. Um, uh, the Ajax goalkeeper Andrea Nana is one option. Um, Kasper Schmeichel of Leicester City, another option. Um, Lille's goalkeeper Mike Mignon is another player that they're, they're considering and would be interested in if they can sell Kepa. And here's the big if, because they want, I'm told, 80 million euros for Kepa, i.e. they want the record transfer fee they paid for Kepa back to them before they will replace and give Frank Lampard a goalkeeper he has more faith in, which is essentially saying uh, Kepa stays, you're stuck with them. So, Billy, 
you go to the fish and chip shop on a Friday night at last orders, isn't it? And, and all they've got left is the manky stuff. And someone's saying, yeah, it's 100 quid, please. <laughs> anyway, I'll leave that one to your imaginations because that's what happens in Scotland. Not the 100 quid part, just the manky stuff. Going back to uh, Spurs, Aurier, Doherty, etc., etc., Wolves have a potential replacement for Matt Doherty. Is that correct, Duncan? Yes. Um, yeah, I think we're in a period now where you're really seeing the market moving. Um, obviously, the, the, the clubs are going back in the majority to training again. The, the start of the Premier League is very close. The restart of the Premier League is very close. Um, clubs like Tottenham have to play Europa League. Um, they all have to play League Cup games. Tottenham have got a horrendous schedule ahead of them where they're being asked, um, at least at present, to play Europa League games and League Cup games in the same midweek for two consecutive weeks in um, September, uh, running just into the first week of October, um, if they get through uh, the League Cup and uh, the third qualifying round of the Europa League. Um, and then have to go and play Manchester United away at the end of it. So they're looking at uh, seven games in 15 days right at the start of the season. But um, this is provoking negotiations and, and, and attempts to shift players. And, um, there is a wait for the money to, to trickle through. There are a lot of clubs who want to do things, but they need um, a flow of cash through the market um, and, and money going into the hands of one team to allow them to replace um, and bring in new players and, and Wolves, as I said, ready to sell Doherty if Tottenham get the money for Aurier and Wolves have entered into talks with Arsenal um, over the transfer of Ainsley Maitland-Niles, um, who is primarily right back but can play in midfield as well. Um, surplus to requirements, um, not fancied by Mikel Arteta. He played 20 Premier League games last season, um, but young, um, and uh, and physically, I think, uh, quite well suited to Wolves' game. Um, I'm told it's a transfer that's being driven by Wolves' recruitment staff. So they proposed Maitland-Niles as a, as a Premier League experienced younger player who can come in to replace Doherty if necessary. Uh, and um, Nuno Espirito Santo will have a call on whether he agrees with their assessment as to that being the right replacement for Doherty should a replacement be needed. Wolves do want to raise money in the transfer market. Um, so if they can get a good fee for Doherty from Tottenham and, and take Maitland Miles uh, for less money, it fits into their, their strategy. They're still hoping um, to sell someone like uh, Raul Jimenez for a very big transfer fee um, to allow them to invest in the kind of top quality younger players from Europe that they've brought in in the last few seasons and built into um, elite performers or close to elite performers in the Premier League uh, as part of their strategy and their and their, their rise up the, the English first tier. Now, Duncan, um, not many people were surprised when Arsenal appointed their former midfielder, the Brazil player Edu, as sporting director. Obviously, there have been some fairly significant executive shuffling and changes at the club since then. But the arrival impending of Gabriel Maganes, the Brazilian centre-back from Lille, 
is something that you've reported on for the last two to three weeks. We reported on the podcast that he was due to have his Arsenal medical. I'm pleased to say that we had some very cynical and sarcastic remarks about that uh, since then. But it appears that that indeed is going forward. And there's a reason why it was slightly delayed, but it appears also to be something which has been driven by Edu. Yeah, it was actually Wednesday um, that I reported Ah. that an agreement had been put in place between Arsenal and Leo for Gabriel. Um, So Gabriel has been a a top target at centre-back for a number of European clubs in this market and probably not surprising given the prices we're talking about for English centre-backs early in this podcast and last week's podcast. So Arsenal have secured him for an initial fee of €26 million guaranteed and €4 million in performance-related bonuses. Napoli were very keen on the player. Manchester United expressed an interest, did not make a bid in the end. Um, Everton made a bid, but um, did not come back at the the price that Arsenal agreed. On Wednesday, that fee was agreed and the medical scheduled for Gabriel. The complication, um, although the agreement was... Uh, as I was told by a source that Leo was 100% with Arsenal. Uh, Complication was in the gentleman's agreement that Leo had with Napoli as a result of an earlier transfer they'd done this summer. So they sold Victor Asimhen, their striker, to Napoli for um, a total fee of €80 million um, early in the summer. And essentially the period in which that was done was one in which Leo were running short of cash to pay their players because they'd had the long um, COVID uh, stop in French football. Napoli agreed to to give them the transfer fee and a substantial percentage of the transfer fee immediately to allow them to pay their players on condition that they would have first option for Gabriel um, later in the summer when they had put the money together um, from a, a sale of one of their players to allow them to do it within um, the financial regulations in Italian football. They couldn't do it immediately. They couldn't do both deals together, but their expectation was that they would add Gabriel and Asimhen and Leo were happy to go along with that. Um, we told you that Kaladu Koulibaly was the player that, that Napoli um, really wanted to sell. Um, and have been in discussions with Manchester City over, but they have failed to come to a conclusion to that deal as yet. So they therefore couldn't take Gabriel um, immediately. Um, they Over the weekend, they entered into negotiations with Everton for the sale of their midfielder, Allen. Um, and I believe they now have an agreement with Everton on that deal um, for an initial 30 million euros, which they managed to complete Sunday um, night into Monday morning. So Monday morning, I'm told they came back to Napoli with an improved offer for Gabriel, i.e. improved above what Arsenal had offered them, of 32 million euros, and tried to have the final medical for um, Gabriel stalled so that they could complete the deal. Leo, however, um, concluded 
with Arsenal and, and said, you know, you can carry on, you can go to London to finish the move. Um, I'm told that part of the, fa the, the factor in that going through at less money for Arsenal than Napoli were prepared to pay on Monday was because Edu had done such a good job in convincing Gabriel that uh, Arsenal was a better destination for him to move to. Edu plus uh, Mikel Arteta talking to the player and uh, selling a, a story about how um, the team was intended to be improved this season and where they could go forward um, in the coming season. So I think it's, it's a very notable success um, for Arsenal to to win that battle for, for a player, as I say, who, who has been coveted by a number of clubs and to do it at uh, a reasonably... Um, price fee for a for a centre back these days. Um, the salary I'm told uh, is three million euros net uh, that Arsenal will be paying the player, which is the same salary as Napoli were prepared to offer. I think there's been reports um, that uh, he took less money at Arsenal than he, he took at Napoli. But my information from people involved in the deal was actually the salaries offered were the same at both clubs. Duncan, you referred there to um, the wonderfully named Brazilian midfielder, Alan, and regular listeners of the podcast will remember my um, mirth and glee when Manchester United signed to Brazilian Fred. Uh, obviously, I'm waiting for the Brazilian Dave to turn up and complete the trio uh, in any way that they possibly can, but um, not so uh, fancifully named in terms of Brazilians, Abdoulaye Dekoury at Watford is also a big target for Everton. Is it the case that it's either Alan, or should we just call him Dave, because Dave Allen is a great um, you know, hero hero of mine, um, or is it Dekoury as well as Dave Allen? Well, they made an offer for Dekoury to Watford. Um, told the, the should we call him Dave Dekoury? <laughs> <laughs> sorry, Dave, sorry, I interrupt you. Abdave Dukuri. Um they made an offer of twenty-two million pounds to Watford um for Dukuri, um, who's now twenty-seven. It's a player they tried to sign um last year, um, and Watford refused to sell him to Everton because of the uh the mess over Marco Silva. Um player was quite keen to move at that stage. Watford aren't really in a position to resist now in that they, they have to raise um, money because of rele their relegation to the championship and to reduce their wage bill. Um, my information is that Watford want 25 million for the player. So we're, we're close to an agreement on price there. I think there could be a difficulty with salary um, because um, the guidance I have is that Dukuri is looking for um, some a, a, a salary of considerably over £100,000 per week um, to move to Everton. Um, believes he can get that, which if you factor that into a five-year contract, you're looking at a, a gross cost of over £50 million for a player who will have no resale value um, by the time he completes that contract. I think it's interesting that Everton are going after players in this age range. Um, with Dakura, you're looking at someone who's Premier League proven. Um, 
but expensive. Um, with Allen, you're looking at a 29 year old uh, Brazilian, um, where you have even more of a problem in terms of resale value, substantial wages, a substantial transfer fee, basically the same kind of figure that we're talking about for Takuri there. Um, but he has played for Carlo Ancelotti. He was a, a key part of Ancelotti's team at Napoli. And I think it, it's a, a good sign for Carlo Ancelotti, who has begun to make noises about lack of support in the transfer market, um, that Everton are prepared to back him in making an investment in an older um talented, very talented player that he thinks is right for his system, regardless of the pricing in a period in which um, football has economic difficulties. You know, a lot of clubs would uh, turn their noses up in the Premier League and throughout Europe at um, those kind of fees and those kind of salary levels for 29, 27-year-old players. But Everton are... Um, agreeing a deal with Napoli for Allen and uh, pushing very hard uh, with Watford for Ducuri. So um, at least he, he will get some reinforcement for that squad this summer, it seems. We look forward to seeing the Dave Allen uh, and the Everton squad, uh, if indeed that deal happens. It would not be, obviously, a transfer window podcast if we did not mention updates on Manchester United. Lots of you have been asking us about what's going on. Why is the club not very active? Are they active? What's you know, Is there anything going on in the background we don't know about, etc., etc.? So we will just bring you up to date with, of course, the ongoing saga of Jadon Sancho. Um, our latest information is that uh, Manchester United and Borussia Dortmund are comfortable with the positions that they are in at this moment in time with regards to selling Sancho, uh, that United uh, do not expect Dortmund to uh, agree the terms of the payment structure that United have proposed uh, until potentially near the end of the window that there currently is an impasse with regards to the conversations between the two clubs but since United are in a unique position of being the only, only game in town, as far as Sancho's transfer is concerned, that that's something which they are comfortable with. And it should not be the case that, um, as many people have reported, that the transfer is in doubt or is indeed uh, not going to happen. United believe that it will happen. Sancho believes that it's going to happen. His representatives believe that it will happen. And whatever Dortmund say in public, they also believe that they will sell. Um, Duncan, David Brooks is a player that's been mentioned in passing and in certain uh, media outlets with regards to a move to United. Is that something which you believe there's any um, foundation in? You can see why Brooks has been mentioned. He, he fits into the, the cultural rebuild um, story. Reboot. Cultural, yeah, cultural reboot, cultural rebuild story, whatever, whatever Edward was trying to sell it as um, this particular window, um, and it might need some heavy sales if he doesn't get that Sancho deal through um, by the end of uh, the, this elongated transfer window. But uh, you know, Brooks is young and English, um, would have 
a lot of time um, to play for this team, is it? But would be you know a, a much cheaper option than Jaden Sancho, obviously. Um, Bournemouth ready to sell the player, um, relegated to the Championship, so um, an opportunity to go back into the Premier League, and I think you could. You could bring him into the squad and leave Mason Greenwood as the first choice um, on the right side of attack and, and give yourself a, an, an alternative to play in um, alongside him rather with Sancho where if you sign Jaden Sancho, Jaden Sancho is going to be a starter uh, and that causes you something of an issue as to how you use Mason Greenwood next season. Although. Um, it's a, a squad uh, and a, a long season and a lot of matches and rotation uh, is important in the process and it's probably easier to rotate and change forwards around than, than any other position in the team. Um, my information is there's been no offer to Bournemouth from Manchester United for Brooks and that Brooks has um, been told basically to, to wait uh, and see what develops through this window in terms of a move away from Bournemouth. Um, as I say, available for sale and keen to move, but nothing of any uh, substance from Manchester United at this stage. Um, on Sancho, my information is that United are prioritising that deal, putting their efforts into that deal still, so kind of fits with what you're saying that that um, they believe they can get it across the line and are focusing on on trying to do that um, and have held off on um, progressing the talks they've had with some alternative signings um, should Sancho deal ultimately prove to be impossible should Dortmund stick to their word about not selling for less than 120 million euros and stick to their word that, that his, uh, his Sancho's place in the squad for next season is set in stone, as one of their senior executives said recently. Um, so Usman Dembele is one of the options that Manchester United have inquired about uh, potentially as a loan move for the season and what the costing would be. But um, they have not progressed that any further. Um, following the the well reported difficulties in the Sancho deal, which again suggests that United believe that they can get Sancho done um, before the window finishes. Well, coming up next on the, the transfer window podcast will be Messi in Manchester. Yes or no? But first, let's go to the other city, Leeds United, and uh, a club which obviously had a magnificent season in being promoted and is now looking to strengthen their squad to compete properly in next season's Premier League competition. Duncan, you have information on what would be a very, very interesting signing in the shape of Rodrigo Moreno. Yeah, um, my information is that Leeds United are actively negotiating that deal today um, with Valencia. Um, on Thursday's podcast with Graham Hunter, you, you did a section on how every player in the Valencia squad was for sale. Um, and that includes their Spain international striker, Rodrigo, who um, came quite close to going to Barcelona last season when they were, uh, were struggling for a, a striker. Um, had a, 
a kind of strange involvement in the uh, Bruno Fernandes transfer from Sporting, which if you go back to our podcast in January, we, we detailed in there, um, was used in a very complex proposed deal, which would have seen Bruno go to Barcelona this summer rather than Manchester United in January, which obviously fell through because Bruno decided that his preference was to go to Manchester United immediately. But that's if Leeds managed to get this across the line, it is a very significant investment um, in a player who doesn't hasn't had a great um, scoring record uh, last season uh, for Valencia, just four La Liga goals, but has scored well for Spain and and um, and obviously has uh, experience of playing in England, having uh, spent an early part of his career uh, at Bolton Wanderers. Um, uh, uh, in the Premier League. So you can see where elements of this fit together for Leeds. And we, we've seen in recent years clubs coming up to the Premier League having a lot of headroom uh, to spend uh, within the Premier League's financial fair play rules. And, um, and quite a few clubs making um, quite aggressive deals in their, fir- in their first summer in the division. And Leeds obviously have huge ambitions um, the ownership structure and the, and the, the there's been various discussions about the club being sold again and the idea has always been that with Leeds you have the the biggest one um, club uh, city in the country um, with a with a huge history as a as a football team um, and an ability if you buy well and uh, and invest appropriately in the club to turn them into a team that can compete at the top end of the Premier League within a, in a, a reasonable timescale. Leeds United will certainly be a very interesting story in the upcoming season, um, having had three bids turned down by Brighton Hove Albion, as we've reported, uh, before anyone else, funnily enough, for Ben White. But money to spend uh, by Andrea Radrazani, the club's owner, uh, seems to be uh, something which, yeah, they're going to uh, go for in terms of the way in which they approach the campaign. We pride ourselves here at the Transfer Window Podcast, as you all know, in bringing you information that you don't get elsewhere and indeed that you will not get elsewhere. And so uh, this is uh, our latest latest information regarding Leo Messi's future. Um, As some of you will have read or know, um, Messi has been upset uh, in the last seven days by leaks regarding uh, a meeting he had with the new head coach, Ronald Koeman, regarding his future at Camp Nou and uh, has indeed responded to those leaks by making let's just say, leaks of his own through his own people about his dissatisfaction that it was reported that he told Koeman he was more out than in. And I quote that from the Spanish sporting press. Having had conversations with people close to this particular situation, it's our information that an intermediary And it's not the case that this intermediary necessarily represents Leo Messi or his interests, but has had conversation 
with Manchester City officials regarding what the possibility of moving to the Etihad would be for the Argentine captain. And in doing so, they have discussed salary details, contract details, and how things would work out with regards to, of course, his rather strained, in the end, um, relationship with Pep Guardiola, the current coach, who is out of contract a year from now, and what kind of situation City would see Messi being in with regards to how long he would be at the club, what his position would be, and indeed how he would fit in with regards to Guardiola in the first instance, but also post-Guardiola. This, Duncan, is the transfer which City have publicly, uh, I guess, have admitted that they would have loved to have done in the past. Um, We did report on the Transfer Window podcast City's very, very keen interest in Messi before he signed a new contract with Barcelona. Uh, There seems to be a situation now, a kind of standoff with regards to their captain and obviously the most iconic figure at the club at this moment in time and how things move forward under Koeman, who is not the kind of coach who uh, Messi will necessarily get on with with regards to his more sergeant major approach as opposed to the uh, sentient Um, approach of other coaches who have obviously indulged Messi and his ideas and his ideas of tactics and his ideas of team selection Um, I suppose the question is how probable is this Um, or indeed uh, is it probable at all I think it's Messi (laughs) I think I think think that's if only someone had used that line before I think that's where the the situation is because he, he, there is no release clause at present. He, his his walk away or the, there's a release clause, but it is unobtainable. It's not a, a, a sum that Manchester City are going to to buy the player out. The um, the clause in his contract, which allows him to leave the club each May, has not been exercised, so he can't walk for nothing. Um, as we have talked about in the last two episodes of the transfer window, Barcelona feel they have to change the way they operate um, and not um, be as beholden to Messi in terms of decisions over recruitment, managing, management, um, retaining players he is friendly with. They've, they've made it clear that a number of the players who are closest to him in the squad are available for sale and, and aren't in that very short, untouchable list that um, Joseph Maria Bartomeu um, talked about last week. Um, Messi has not made a, a formal decision on what he wants to do. Um, and, and this is extremely political and, it, and it's very much a, a public relations war and that there are a limited number of clubs who are able to afford Messi. Um, Manchester City are one of the clubs who could. Um, They have been essentially released from financial fair play by their um, maturity decision victory at CAS. You have the chairman of the club and one of the senior government officials in Abu Dhabi, uh, Khaldun Al-Mubarak, giving his end of season uh, address to the supporters. 
um, yesterday and uh, I'm talking about recruitment um, and being asked uh, whether COVID uh, had an impact on their recruitment strategy this summer and whether they would be restraining spending because of it. And, um, and the response was telling in that he, he starts off by saying, you have to take that into consideration and then immediately changes track and says, but at the same time, my comment and my position is clear. We don't take a one-year view. We take a three, five, 10-year view. And when you look at what changes or improvements we have to make for the squad, we're going to make them. Um, he also then talks about the category of player that they usually re recruit in and that they have a, a sweet spot in the 20 to 25-year-old category. And then again, immediately corrects himself and says, I don't want to box myself with this answer because sometimes opportunities come up that fit with what the manager wants and with what we need for the squad that might be out of that box. So nothing is set in stone. Um, and you, if you're thinking of two names, who would be out of that box? And you have Kaladu Kulabai, who they have been trying to sign to improve their defence. And then even more so, you have Lionel Messi, who would be completely out of that box. But as you said, it's a player that the Abu Dhabi hierarchy is on record as saying um, they would have liked more than any other to bring to Manchester City and the nation state project um, before uh, this stage. And now, um, there is a potential opportunity because Messi is unhappy and Barcelona are trying to wean themselves off Messi to a certain extent um, that, to explore that again. As you say, um, they tried to do this before Messi signed his, his last contract. They tried to bring him to the club then. Messi and his father used that to get the record uh, contract deal um, that he currently has, which has one year left. Um, it's it's in a very fluid position. Um, I don't know if a deal can be done this summer for all of the reasons I've explained, but certainly if you're interested in, in hiring one of the two best footballers on the planet, you have an opportunity like you've never had before because he's out of contract in a year's time and he's actively considering where he wants to uh, finish his football career. Well, I'm not a Man City fan, as of course um, all of our listeners know. Um, but I'd happily chuck in 50p to the uh, kitty to get Leo Messi playing in the Premier League. Um, my particular um, choice would be Brighton. But uh, if Leeds United and uh, Marcelo Bielsa wanted him as well, I'd put my 50p there as well, Duncan. So don't know about you. Um, Dundee well, United? It's, it's the obvious uh, missing element in his career, and I, I, also Aberdeen have had a go. I don't know if you saw the uh, the, the tweet that Aberdeen's owner put out um, when this talk about Messi started to emerge um, with uh, Lionel Messi talking about how his uh, a dream had always been to play for Aberdeen and and uh, and score at Potodri in in broad. Um, Doric, if you haven't seen it, have a look for it. It's, uh, are, you, it's... are you sure this wasn't Graham Hunter in disguise? <laughs> who, who just put this out? Are you sure? I can't, you imagine, you, can't imagine you wanting Liam S to play for Aberdeen. That doesn't sound correct. You should have asked him that last week. Oh, well, you know what? The good thing is we'll get another chance. Um, well, 
It is the early week podcast uh, here at the transfer window, which means only one thing in terms of rounding things off. And that, of course, is heroes and villains. And as always, because I'm a very, very courteous person, I'm going to let Duncan go first. Who has nominated a villain? I, I think villain of the week is self-selected this time. Um, it will have to be Harry Maguire. Uh, for managing to get himself arrested um, and charged with various crimes in Greece um, on his uh, very short uh, end of season break and, and giving Manchester United a headache um, and I, I suppose England a headache um, that they didn't need from a player who um, was promoted to the captaincy because he was supposed to be a uh, uh, a safe pair of hands and uh, and someone who wouldn't uh, would cause the club image problems. Well, we have to point out, of course, as is our duty, that Harry Maguire has not been found guilty of anything as yet. Um, although we have to hope that his lawyers make better defenders than he does. <laughs> For his sake. Um, my hero is going to be no one else comes close. The great man, Kingsley Coleman, 24 years old, 20 trophies at 24. Only Messi and Ronaldo come anywhere close to that. Well, they are above him so far. But at 24, should this young man continue on his stellar career, he would potentially overtake them both. Kingsley Coleman is a great header from the back post to the far post. Absolutely magnificent. Well done. You are the Transfer Window Podcast's Hero of the Week. We hope you've enjoyed uh, this particular pod. And indeed, if you have, give something back. Remember, you get this for free, all of it, everything included. And get onto iTunes, log in, give us a five-star review, and the community will grow. Also, this is available on all your normal podcast platforms, but also as well on our relatively new YouTube channel where you can log on and listen to the podcast. Just search at Transfer Window Podcast, subscribe, and you will never miss an episode. Please continue the debate, whether it's about your hero and villain of the week or indeed all of the transfer stories that we have been discussing on today's pod. So please find us on at Transfer Podcast on Twitter, Instagram and Facebook. Duncan is at Duncan Castles on Twitter. I'm sure you all know that. I'm at Garbo SJ on Twitter and you can find us both there. Until uh, our next broadcast, which will be on Thursday or Friday, I'm sure, uh, it just leaves me to say stay safe, be well and thanks for listening. Hey.